Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. Good morning. Welcome to East Lake. We're so glad that you are here. Uh, welcome to those of you watching online or on replay. We're glad that you can make it a priority as well. If you're a first-time guest, you picked a great day to come check us out. We are in part three of a four-part series called Thy Kingdom Come. Uh, and the series has been, the subtitle is a series on culture, but basically we've been saying, uh, what is it, what do you think you mean when you pray those words? And maybe you don't pray those words, but uh, in Matthew chapter six, Jesus teaches his disciples, when you pray, here's kind of what it should feel like or look like. Uh, and some of the words in that are, uh, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So at some point there's an assumption of an integration between what happens in the kingdom of heaven and then what happens on earth. Or another way of looking at it is uh, your faith should intersect somehow with the way that you do life. It should not be this two separate things. I do this when I'm at church and I do this when I'm in regular life. It's like somehow we integrate these two things and some, somehow they meet up and your faith should inform the way that you live. Um, and so uh, with that being said, the church has had a long history of trying to figure out what it means to integrate those two things and what it means to have uh, your faith inform your life. And um, so people like me have stood up in churches like this and said something to their congregations about how you interact with the world. And so I said, really, then this series becomes a question of what is it that comes to your mind when you hear the word, the wor- or the words, the world? Um, and there's a lot of kind of responses, or we said there are basically four pathways uh, that the church has kind of done to kind of uh, move in this direction. One, when you, maybe you grew up in a church that, like I did, when you heard the word the world, it was automatically uh, a, a calling of allegiances. It was pick a side, it's us against the world. It was our religion and our religiosity and our, our Christianity is based on how far distant, how far we can distance ourselves from the things of the world. The world does things one way, we are called to be different, you know, separateness, 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 right? So that was, that was definitely, that's definitely an approach. It's a very popular approach and a very, uh, you know, uh, ubiquitous one in terms of the history of the church and how it has, has turned out. Then we said another way that people integrate religion and culture, their faith in their religion, uh, is through being for the world, right? So when they hear the world, the world is like a positive thing. There's no tension there between us and the world. It's, it's all... Uh, that God created the world. He's the sustainer of it. Um, anything that is good in creation uh, is because of, of him. Even, even the things that are produced that weren't produced technically in his name or in his honor can be kind of construed as such. And so we should take everything from the world and think positively on it and, and, and go uh, in that direction. And, and that was last week. So those are the first two weeks. If you missed the series, you can go check those things out. Um, today, we're going to be talking about transcending the world. And then I, I don't want to go t- into too much detail on it because I'm going to in just a minute. Uh, and then the last week will be sort of a, a transforming the world. Four different pathways, uh, neither one not necessarily better than the rest. Just, just here's how things are done. And here's why this is important, because it's not just like, well, what does this have to do with me? I mean, it's a good question to ask, so what? What do I even do with something like this? And the reason we bring it up is because I want you to have a framework in terms of uh, integrating and understanding what faith looks like, because there, here's how we kind of interact in life a, a lot of times. Um, we evaluate how we're doing, both on personal inventory, 
both on uh, perhaps an authority thing telling us how we're doing, right? But also in terms of comparing ourselves to the people around us. So when you, when you are at, you know, working through the process, am I a good parent? You go, here, my kids are doing here good, this, this is great. I look at their grades. I look at how much trouble they get into. And then I look at everybody else and how they parent. I'm like, I think I'm doing good, right? So we're constantly doing this when it comes to saving for retirement, when it comes to how much we make and all this kind of stuff. There's internal and then there's sort of an external void. And so when it comes to our faith, we oftentimes will do this too. What does it mean? Am I a good Christian? What does it mean to be Christian? I, I take an inventory of myself. I do this. But then I also look around and then I look at other people doing and approaching faith in a different way. And I think to myself, is that what it means to be Christian? Right? They seem to be, all, they seem to be uh, a pretty good one. And they're, they're in against the world. Or they're for the world. Or I read this or I watch this or I attend that church or I hear somebody post or I see them post Bible verses or whatever on their, on their page. I'm like, is that what it takes to be Christian? And for some of you, it works. And for, for others, you see it and you kind of reject that approach. That's not, that's not technically my approach. And the danger is that we could potentially reject a pathway of Christianity, but in our minds, reject Christianity as, as a whole or, or walk away from that or, or think that that's not me. I, you can even be integrated into a church uh, that is a certain style. And then all of a sudden you don't match up to it. And then all of a sudden you just push things away. And I don't want you to unnecessarily walk away from faith or religion or Christianity simply because of a stylistic issue or a, a, a methodology approach. I want you to be able to see and integrate all of those things as one. So that's why we did the series. Um, and uh, so I wanna talk about uh, transcending the world. When you hear the world, it's like the world exists, but like there's something more important uh, than that. Now, due to our geographical you know, locale as well, as well as I think a little bit of our personal style, we attract, for some strange reason, a lot of, I grew up Catholic people, okay? Um, and you don't have to identify yourselves, um, uh, but, but you, you do when, well, I, when I do a baptism, uh, and we do that every once in a while, right? And I'll get up there and there's like a certain phrase that has been passed down from like generation to generation uh, and it crosses denominational lines. It's, it's when a pastor looks at a baptism candidate and says, based on your confession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then I go down and dunk. And, and I don't even say that through a microphone anymore because microphones and water, tough. Anyways, um, but you see, like I can see people see me tell that to this baptism candidate. They don't even hear it and I can see them going through the motions on it, right? Because it's just so natural. In fact, some of you flinched as I even just said it a minute ago. So you know who you are, right? Uh, and that's, that's, that's great. I love it. It's awesome. Today, uh, and, and you're here and, and for various reasons and, and it's fine. It's been a while. I grew up, my parents were this. Please don't tell my mom I attend this church. This, all kinds of different strategies for it. But Today, I want to talk about uh, what you might miss about being Catholic, okay? Now, this isn't like, uh, uh, it, 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 there are plenty of churches who take an above-the-world approach to Christianity and to, the, and to culture in the world. Um, Catholicism seems to be the most obvious one, and so there's, there's a lot more tangible stuff. So I'm, I'm not like picking on Catholics, and, and uh, you'll, you'll understand why I'm saying that, um, uh, but some, there, there, there will be people, there would be people who would say, there, there are definitely things that I miss about it. There are some people who would say there's plenty of things I don't miss about it, right? I mean, who speaks or understands Latin anymore? Um, the whole stand up, sit down, sit, I came to church, not physical therapy. Like, please, like I'm <laughs> exhausted with this. Um, and full disclosure, 
I, I, I have a deep appreciation for Catholicism. I mean, I lean Protestant and our ancestors have a track record for not getting along. But in reality, uh, some of the best theology books I read are written by devout Catholics. Um, they have my favorite college basketball team in the country, just two hours north of here. So how could I be angry uh, with them in any way? Uh, but so we're going to talk about a little bit about an above the church approach. And if you want to think, think through it through the terms of Catholicism, you can, because I think that they very much embody and epitomize that sort of approach, although they are not the only ones. All right. In an above the world approach, uh, they hear the arguments of both the against and the for uh, the world sort of things. And if it operates on sort of a spectrum, on one side of things, you have extremely against the, you know, against the world, extreme for the world. A lot of times it's kind of, you know, churches are lean one way, but they're in the, in the middle of the, uh, of the spectrum uh, or some sort of way. They hear the arguments of both of these. Should we be against the world to some degree? Yes. Should we be for the world? Because God created the world. Yes, for. And so they ask and answer the question in a way that kind of resounds with a, well, why not both of these things? Let's not talk about this specifically. Why not both? A classic example for us in more practical terms. Uh, do you want to go surfing or do you want to go wakeboarding? You're like, well, let's do wake surfing, all right? Uh, do you want a spoon or a fork? Why not both? Do I want diarrhea now or diarrhea later? You can have both if you should choose to do it, right? So that's, uh, those are some why not both sort of scenarios in this way. So, this, uh, so from a, a religious standpoint, uh, people would say, should there be uh, some level of separateness between the church and the world? Yes, absolutely. When you walk through the doors of a church, it should feel different, right? It should feel sacred. It should feel sprawling and epic and ornate and awe-inspiring. It should do something to you. It should feel like hollowed ground, like something. I, I don't say things that I would normally say outside the walls of this church. I, 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 that's, that's, this is a sacred spot or whatever. Um, and yet then it's also like, should it feel like, should my faith integrate specifically in practical ways how I live my life? And, and the answer for them would be absolutely. Um, and uh, Catholicism is famous for these, what are called encyclicals or church ordained literature or doctrine. Other churches, non-denomination churches will have doctrinal beliefs or doctrinal statements on things um, to be like, this is how you should live. And some of the Famous Catholic ones on human work, on capital and labor, on human life, all written by popes at certain times that have drastically influenced even American life and workforce and, and workplace uh, uh, pra practices or whatever. Like, it's a big deal. Like, they are, it's very much for the world. And, and when you look at welfare work, uh, domestic and international, it's very clear that Catholics are taking, their, taking care of their fair share of it. I mean, you only do that if you're for the world in a big sense. So to some degree, they're like, like a both and, they hear the arguments and they go, guys, that's, we can be good at both of these things and kind of transcend that as well and talk about how that's, let's not get stuck in the weeds. Let's focus on the, not focus on the minutia, but on the bigger picture. Let's step back and take a 5,000 foot view of this sort of thing. They would say something like this, the primary issue isn't between Christ and culture or Christ and the world. We should be good at both separation from and service to the world. The bigger issue, the one that deserves the lion's share of our attention is between God and man. What are we doing with that relationship? Can we focus on that and make that a priority? 
Let, let, let's focus on the big things in, in, instead of the small things. I tried to, I was trying to think through another illustration of what this might look like in, in, in our everyday life. And imagine your mom with two kids in the back seat, and they're fighting over who gets to sit in the middle, right? And uh, one kid is saying, she sat there last time, and the other one is saying, yeah, but mom, you said I could sit here in the store that we were just in and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And they're like, hey, and the mom's in the front going, come on, come on, come on. Hey, you guys are brother and sister. Why are you fighting about this? There are bigger, this is, who cares about who gets to sit in the middle seat? And after all, can we not just focus on the one thing that you guys have together in common, an incredible and amazing mom? Let's focus on those positive things. Can you think about that in, 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 a, big, in, in a bigger way? And that is the approach of the above the church sort of thing. I have, I have input on, on this kind of stuff, but I'd rather spend our time focusing on, on the bigger fish to fry. Nations will bicker and fight and war over territorial boundaries and natural resources, but one thing binds them all together and has since Jesus inaugurated his coming kingdom, and that thing is the church. The church, the capital C church. It exists above the world. It transcends the issues of the world. It concerns weightier issues than what is typically bantered about in against the world and for the world types of arguments. And one of the the expressions that it shows up and and one of the ways in which the church, church dealt with it, one of the earliest church internal squabbles was about who and what was Jesus. Was he human or was he divine, right? There was a, there, on one side of it, this, there's a group of people going, he was fully human. He knew every kind of thing a, a, about us. And that whole divinity piece got attached later on to it after the fact, right? Um, and then and there's this other side of the group, this other warring section that's like, no, 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 fully divine. He, uh, he was fully God in human flesh, but fully, fully God. And he would never stoop so low as to be, make himself a human and degrade his divinity in, in such a way. And so the Catholic formed this council and they said, let's, get, let's hear both of these arguments and uh, let's come up with a resolution. And if anybody wants to guess what that resolution was at the beginning, it was, why not both? Why can't he not be fully human and fully divine? And then people go, well, you, define that for me. And they're like, ah, we'll just, let's just leave it at that, right? It's like this very esoteric out there kind of sort of, sort of thing. But that was the, the big first council of what do we do with Christianity? As soon as it began to get institutionalized, some of the problems that were being dealt with were responded to with an above the church, above the world sort of an approach. Let's not get caught in the weeds on those types of things. Let's just embrace both and. Jesus is both fully human and fully divine. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, I don't think I have the chops to make the duality of Christ both accurate and interesting for the next 20 minutes. So I'm going to try and approach it from a different sort of angle on this. Um, one that probably feels a little bit more relevant to you, which is the topic of, uh, of money, Right. Uh, and specifically how the church has handled the theology of wealth and the theology of, 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 of money and being rich and being poor. Because there's, like, there's all kinds of verses that you can say, well, this one says this and this one says this. And what do we do with all of this? I mean, the love of money specifically was mentioned by Jesus, the root of the cause of all kinds of problems or evils or whatever. Anytime that Jesus starts a parable off with, there was once a rich man, once upon a time, there was a rich man and a poor man. You're like, I know who the protagonist and the antagonist is. You don't have to like spell it out for me. I know sort of how this ends in some way, right? One man was even told by Jesus, no less, to give away all of his wealth in order to follow Jesus. And it says that he walked away sad because as much as he liked this Jesus guy, he also liked fine leather goods and polarized sunglasses. So that's my interpretation. But it's his way of saying like, 
it's really difficult to be this. So from a separatist for the world sort of thing, it was very much a, we wanna distance ourselves from being rich. But then, but then you have Paul also in, in, in a letter to a church that he had started in kind of maintain correspondence with saying, hey, here's specific instructions for rich people. Tell those people who in your congregation who are rich in this world's wealth to be wise and generous in their dealings and not to put too much trust and hope inside of their wealth, to not base their life security on the fact that no matter what problems I have, if I'll throw enough money at it and I'll be able to get out of you know, any problem that I might have. Tell them not to think like that because it's not gonna actually be true. Uh, in life. And so in that sense, it's an assumption. It's not a critique of rich people. It's the assumption that they're there and that there is specific wisdom for them to be able to have. I mean, what do you do with this? It feels like there's two sides of the spectrum on this. I mean, throughout church history, priests specifically in above the world sort of churches have taken personal vows of poverty, but performed church services in ornate cathedrals that cost millions of dollars to construct. It's kind of a weird deal that, the way that that works. Even the gospel writers appear mixed on the issue. And I've mentioned this before, but um, Jesus does his sermon on the mountain. He kicks it off with what are called the Beatitudes, his way of saying, lucky are these kinds of people, right? Lucky are the people who hunger and thirst or whatever. And, and one of the early ones is, uh, and it shows up, Luke, when, when Luke writes his version of it, it's blessed are the poor, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, lucky are you. Oh, the luck of the people who find themselves to be poor. The kingdom of heaven is going to be yours. Blessed are those who hunger, for their mouths will be filled. And then when Matthew writes his version of the story, he writes the exact same scenario, exact same setting, Sermon on the Mount, Beatitudes that started off, but his version looks like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you know the difference between being poor and being poor in spirit? A lot. You can be extremely wealthy and poor in spirit. In fact, a lot of really wealthy people who put their trust in there and think, you know, and all, whatever, and aren't generous or whatever, are poor in spirit. So this, this is a very general, so which one is it? Well, you know, it can be, it can be both. Blessed, in, in, uh, in Matthew's version of the hunger and thirst, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? So this is for, for they will be filled. So that this, is, uh, this is his way of, uh, even, even early on, this church is navigating through this, what do we do with this both and sort of thing? Well, why can't it be both? Why can't there be uh, attachments to kind of both of these? Why not step back from it and be like, guys, there's a bigger picture involved in this. Is it better to be poor because money is a worldly value to be shunned? Or is it better to be rich? Because after all, orphanages don't build themselves. And what better way than money to make sure everybody's fed and sleeps indoors, right? So from this perspective or this teaching of wealth and money, we see even the church navigating early on what it looks like to take an above the world sort of approach. In a book that I've been kind of reading through that has been formed this series, uh, this guy writes about Christ and culture and integrates his things. And here's what he says about it. In dealing with the problem of wealth, Clement of Alexandria, which it doesn't mean anything to you, but he was an early church father, one of the early, earliest popes to be able to write about these kind of things and tackle this issue head on. He's concerned lest the church so use Christ's commandments to the rich and promises to the poor as to drive rich men to despair of salvation. Oh my God, it's horrible, I'm rich, right? And he's like, let's not do that. Let's talk about how the, here, hence the spiritual meaning, here we go. Hence the spiritual answer. Let's let's draw things back from the practical, and let's 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 uh, let's go above the the, the minutia of whether it's good to be rich or, or good to be poor. Hence the spiritual meaning of such statements must be understood. 
and the rich man be assisted to cultivate in the midst of his wealth the detached stoic attitude of one not dependent on possessions and the Christian virtue of thankful generosity. Basically reinterpreting Paul and saying, you know, tell them not to be, uh, to be generous uh, and to not put too much faith and in, in security into the uh, object of their wealth, right? So this is their approach. This is what they do. This is how we say, this is how we solve the, the whole thing. We do our best to synthesize the best that both approaches have to offer. We're against and for in the best sense of the words, but ultimately we're about something bigger and better. And I think that this is a real big draw for a lot of people towards and above. One of the things you might miss most is sometimes people get too opinionated on you know, their a specific churches. Um, approach towards a, a, an ethical issue or a moral issue or a political issue or whatever. And you'd be like, guys, 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 can't we step back? Can't we say that there are good things on both sides? Can't we see a, a little bit of a bigger picture? What if we just go, we're all human. We all struggle with things. What if, what if it was a little bit more general of an approach? And that's been an appeal uh, to a, a lot of people when it comes to this. Our work in the way, even when it comes to this, our work in the world is both a response to the grace we've been afforded, but it also is never quite enough and must be sanctified by an external authority, right? What, what you do in response to how you live your life is good, but just so you know, it will never be perfect. You'll always be a little bit short. When it comes to, is, does salvation come by grace or works? It's not, it's really neither nor, it's kind of a weird combination of both and must ultimately be rubber-stamped by some sort of an external authority who discerns and navigates for us the difficult tension between these two worlds, our incredible mother, the church. The church holds the answers for those things. The church becomes prioritized. The church becomes the one that reminds us to pull ourselves out of the minutia of the weeds, to have some sort of an opinion on some things, but also to lift our heads a little bit higher. Our participation specifically uh, in Catholic Church, you see this a lot, in Holy Communions that sanctifies both our deeds and our misdeeds. And for a moment, it raises our heads. When you show up and when you partake of communion, when you stand in line or step forward or take the wafer and dip it in the wine or do whatever it is that you, you do, for just a moment, your, your head is raised above the mundane, profane nature of our existence to something more. And just when we need it the most, the church helps us live above the world. And so on a weekly basis, I come and am reminded of my unique spiritual nature. I am, my eyes are lifted from uh, the minutiae. I, 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 I submit to the teaching of a church that kind of you know, claims an authority on this and holds the tension for me and presents it. And then I go, from, go on my merry way. And that's, that's a good approach and it works for a lot of people. And it might be something that you miss, especially if you attend and see other people going, nope, this is, if you want to believe in Jesus, this is how he would vote, right? And you're like, well, I mean, Good grief, can't there be Christians who are Republican and Democrat? You know what I mean? This is, this is, a, 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 this, which is why we love this above the world approach. Now, I, I've mentioned uh, from the very beginning of this series, I wanna tell you, you know, I wanna give you the pros and the cons of each side and, and what kind of holds up and what I think a, a shortcoming is and just to be honest with you. And uh, I think some of the cons that, are, uh, that, are, uh, that come as a result of an above the church, above the world sort of church uh, is, it comes down to two things. One is credibility and one is nuance. Um, it assumes a lot of credibility within the church to be able to operate as sort of a referee um, or as somebody who say, well, tell us, tell us a little bit about the tension. Hold the tension for us and, and make some decisions for us. In this type of religion, a lot of times 
um, a, a church or an entity is held in high regard to be like, we, I just submit to there and I trust that they've got uh, my best you know, interest in mind or whatever. And his history has shown us that power to discern uh, can become corrupt because human beings are involved in those types of things. And credibility is always tough. Credibility always creates a scenario um, where when there's a lack of credibility, um, we just don't necessarily... Uh, buy into what is being uh, told to us in that in that spot. Imagine you coming to me um, for uh, some marital advice or marriage counseling or whatever, and halfway through the conversation, I start spilling guts about how my marriage is on the rocks and we're barely making it together. We struggle with the very same thing, and uh, it's just been awful. And and I, you're like, then I don't know why I'm here listening to you. You know what I mean? Or your friend who offers you advice about finances, and you're like, you have a gambling problem. Like I don't know that you are the person that, credibility is always an issue. And, and we've seen it you know, in, the, in, in the past decade or so uh, with issues within when, it, when the church is held in such high regard and then things happen with the church. And by the way, I wanna mention this too, not just in Catholic church, specifically, I'll, I'll mention one that's been recent. Um, in the last month, there was a, a report that came out from the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, one of the biggest denominations in America um, uh, about... Uh, uh, a pattern of cover-ups and abuse, all in the name of protecting the church and protecting the brand and protecting something. It's been tragic to hear the lack of transparency and the lack of remediation and, and yada, yada, yada. And it's really, really hurt uh, credibility in that way. And, and in the same sense of it being, if you're gonna be above the world, then where do you look? And if you look to this one spot to be like, there, there's the bastion of truth and there's the bastion of safety, watch out when, when those things crumble then what happens to the, uh, the, the whole approach, which then causes leaders to be like, we can't allow this to fail. We can't allow this to fail. So when things are brought to their attention about, well, it's broken in this way, hide it, hide it quick. Don't talk about it. Don't do this. Uh, it's, it's a difficult uh, spot to be in. And then number two is just simply um, nuance as well. Um, and what I mean by that is this, let's go back to that illustration of you coming to me for some sort of marriage counsel. I need to talk to a pastor and here's, here's some stuff going on in my life. And um, I'd say, well, what, what's, what's happening, right? And you'd say something like, ah, oh, he wants to move and I just don't want to move or I'm so happy here, my family's here. I want to stay and he wants to move. An appropriate response for me would not be, well, why can't you do both? You're like, I don't think you understand how <laughs> physics work. Like I can't do both, um, he wants to buy a boat and I'm just so nervous about finances I want to save. And I'd be like, that's okay. You can do both. You can carry, yeah, it's just debt. It's, it's not real money. You know what I mean? Um, it's, uh, there, there's a, a sense in which like hearing situations, you're going, I need some specific advice in this area. And for me to be like, you know what? Let's step back for a moment. Let's talk about how beautiful, but how really hard marriage is. Marriage is both the hardest thing you'll ever do and the most fulfilling thing you'll ever do. And you're like, oh, that's really good. But about that boat, like, what are you saying I should do with that? And I'll be like, no, 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 step back, step back. You're getting too caught in the weeds, man. Step back, let's do this, right? Uh, or if I was to be like, well, you know, marriage is all about mutual submission. If Paul in Ephesians chapter five, if each couple, each person in the couple, you know, be able to submit to one another, then this thing can work. And you'd be like, I totally agree. However, who goes first? Because I do not want to live in Wyoming. That's... <laughs> I don't want to move, and that's, uh, that's a difficult detail uh, in this. It, it's, it's a tough deal. In an above-the-world approach to spirituality can feel a lot like a counseling session where the counselor only wants to speak in platitudes, and when you would like to dive into specifics, there's not much content as there as you might have hoped there would be. If you have ever 
bought a book because the testimonies on the back said, this book changed my life. This book made me rich. I am now a millionaire at 21 because of this book. And you read the book and you're like, this book? Are you sure? Because this was like over-promised and then everything was just platitude. There's no practical. We're gonna tell you how to do this. And you're just like, where? You said you were gonna, in the introduction, you said you were gonna do it. And then the conclusion, you said, I did it. And you're like, but there's just nothing in there. It was all just platitudes and flimsy garbage, right? I mean, there's a, sense in which, there's a sense in which at times I need the above the world. I need to step back and remind myself uh, of the value of mutual submission or uh, of the value of the, the difficulty of marriage and, and who I am. And there's, there's value. There's times in my life and your life where you need to, to go and be a part of a community or be a part of a religious environment that encourage you to step back and just remember that you are loved by God no matter what it is that you do or who you are or anything like that. He, he loves you like crazy. And that's all really, that's all true and it's great. And God doesn't care how you vote. We even say in our videos, we don't care who you vote for, what you dress like, blah, blah, blah. That's all fantastic. We, we value that to, to, to a huge extent, right? Um, uh, and, and yet if it's all, if it just lands there, if it always just exists there, if it just remains in this flimsy, you know, you're trying to peg something. Well, what, what is it that you believe? Well, we don't want to just, we're going to step back and just above the world. At some point you go, ah, I don't know, man. I need something a little bit more firm. I need a little bit something more in here. I can't live in that land. I like to visit that land, but I don't know if I could live there. And if you left the church because of that, then I get it. I understand. I, I, I understand why you would walk away from something like that. If you read a book from an author who promises so much and then just fails to deliver, eventually you stop buying books from that author, right? Maybe, maybe two, maybe three, maybe. And then finally, you're just like, I just, I don't know why everybody loves them, but I just can't do it. Um, and then for some, for some degree, that, that may be the, the reason that you have approached church and said, I tried it and it was just, it was always about, it lived in that above the world sort of approach. And it never really got into, there was, there was credibility issues and there was nuance issues. And I just could never truly fully get there. And, and, and I walked away. I understand why you did. I hope that you didn't necessarily need, you know, I, I hope that you can understand that you didn't need to do that necessarily, right? And that don't, please don't, that's just a, a style. That's an approach. It's the way things are done. It makes sense. It's very scalable. They have a big, you know, the Catholic church is huge. The, the, those types of churches, SPC is big. These are all, uh, there's a way in which it becomes scalable in a, in a big organization or a big deal. Um, but uh, I understand why that might not be the way for you. That's why I wanted to do a series to talk about different ways, different styles. Here they are. What you do with them, you got to figure this out uh, on your own. But uh, and and from us as as a, as a church, I'll just speak from this. Like this is true for us. We have to figure out which one of these are we. Which one of the these uh, best serves um, the people who show up on Sundays and online, uh, and then best serves our community who we're trying to reach. And and it's a tough road to navigate. And my only comments about it is, you know, that's why we have a leadership team trying to navigate this. That's why prayerfully I'm trying to figure out this thing out, why we submit constantly. God, what do you want this to look like? What kind of expression do you want this to look like? So this has to happen corporately, but, uh, you know, there's only so much that you can do for that. So for, for you individually, what does this mean for me and for my family? Is this the style? Is this, is this the angle? As, as I look at and evaluate for myself, is that what it means to be Christian? Is that what it means to be Christian? I want you to have a healthy, balanced 
viewpoint or lens by which to look through to make those decisions. Because I don't want you to unnecessarily walk away from the faith simply because a style thing rubs you the wrong way. So next week, uh, or two weeks, I should say, from now, uh, there's one more approach we're going to look at in part four. And after that, we will have solved all of the world's problems concerning the local church. So that's what we have to look forward to. And I say that obviously facetiously. Let's pray. Father, give us wisdom. Give us a, a uh, encouragement to figure out what this means for us on an individual level and, uh, and how this translates to where we find ourselves spiritually and what we think it means to follow in the footsteps uh, in the way that Jesus lined out for us. Give us the wisdom uh, to understand that and the courage to do something about it in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.